I am still embarrassed about it to the, he's dead. Like he died. And I'm still embarrassed about it to this day. Miserable. Alright, you guys are good to go. Cool. Cool. Uh yeah, should we clap again? Sure. Alright. Yes. On three. No. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> it's not on three, it's on zero. Counting oh, so down from just, three. So we're counting down. Yes. Okay. <laughs> three, two, two one. one. Clap. <laughs> All right, so we know how this episode starts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mina-san, Yokoso, welcome to your favorite cross-cultural deep dive analysis and recap podcast for Power Rangers and Super Sentai, Kinkyu Sentai Podcast Rangers. My name is Ethan, I use he, him pronouns, and with me, as always, is my usual co-host, Andrew. Hey, everybody. My name is Andrew. I also use he, him pronouns. Joining us again is our good friend and actual little rock star, Violet. Hey, Violet. <laughs> Hi, I'm Violet. I use she, her pronouns. I am apparently a literal rock star. I have watched you jump off stage in the middle of a guitar solo. Yeah, that's true. To an adoring crowd. Yep. Actual literal rock star. Okay, this is going to sound really dumb, but which time? Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Thank you for making my point. Today we are recapping and discussing Kyoryu Sentai Jiu-Danger Episode 4, Yomigare Densenso no Buki. Reawaken Legendary Weapons and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Season 1, Episode 4, Oppressing Engagement. You can tell which title I think is cooler. Um, <laughs> unless we have any housekeeping up front, let's get into the recap. Uh, Reawaken Legendary Weapons was written by Sugimoto Noboru and directed by Ogasawara Takeshi. It starts with a recap of the previous episode fight in the land of despair and then Dora Minotaur retreats and the guardian beasts eject the rangers from the cockpits as they must claim the weapons by their own power so you can't just take your tyrannosaurus zord right up to the castle you gotta actually hike up there okay we, we talked about this a little bit in episode one but why the retreat so bandora is the one who calls out that the land of despair becomes freezing cold at night right i think there may be something going on with the fact that the monsters are made of clay, maybe they can't fight in freezing temperatures, okay. but it's not actually ever addressed. Okay. It's a, we'll call this a Power Rangers moment. Sure. <laughs> um, also, how, how, did, how, did the, how does the Zord get to the Land of Despair? I called that out in my notes, like, at least twice. Okay. Really, they just show up. Yeah. Like, how did they get there? So the Rangers get there through Geki's magical stasis door. Yeah. They reopen it, and instead of the sort of, like void that the other rangers were sleeping in is the island floating in the middle of the abyss. And it's like, hmm. So, interesting cosmology. <laughs> Geki, Don, and Goshi break through an invisible wall after walking in circles for a while while Mei and Boy navigate a trick door. It's it's a door with two knobs. And if you open one side, flames shoot out. And if you open the other side, you get teleported to your friends. So it's really 50-50 chance it's not that big of a trick door. <laughs> yeah. And you can close the door before the flames exactly. get Exactly. Like, exactly. You just sort of come around on the side and then open the other side. Really low stakes. The rangers are reunited and make it into the castle where they must face a final test, a sword possessed by an evil spirit. Dan is the first one to touch it, but Geki is the one to draw it and release it, revealing the way to the legendary weapons. The makeup that they use in this portion is really cool, I think. Yeah. 
naturally, the Bandora gang is waiting for them, and Bandora paralyzes the rangers, knowing that the clock has run down on them and they're due to turn to statues at any moment. She's right, and her plan almost works, but Geki calls out to the weapons, appealing to their sense of justice, and it actually works. The weapons awaken and loan the rangers their power. Bandora is unhappy with this turn of events and makes herself giant which shocked me, because I did not remember that from my initial walkthrough, and starts shaking the floating island like a magic eight ball. The rangers power through, transform, and then use their new weapons to form the Howling Cannon and blast Dora Minotaur to bits. Furious, Bandora decides to destroy the Land of Despair, but the rangers escape just before she gets them, and with Hiroshi's mother's tears having restored Hiroshi to life, everybody gets away alive. But Bandora appears in a vision and makes sure to threaten the rangers once again. And all children everywhere. Yeah, all, all children she hates everywhere. all children everywhere. I think there is a monologue bit in this episode or the last one where she's just like, I hate all children. And Pleprechaun goes, why though? And she's like, don't ask me questions. That's, <laughs> that's important. That'll come up again later. Impressions on this episode. To I my thought dear, it was great. To my dear co-hosts and guests. Yeah, it's a good yeah, one. Yeah, it was a good episode. I, I will say, jumping straight to the end, I know that we never get Hiroshi's mom's name. She's nope. only called Hiroshi's mom, even by the <laughs> Rangers. Yep. And then, I'm just saying, she felt despair, and the stakes would have been way higher if they were just both statues at the end. Mm-hmm. And then they would be like, we're not afraid to kill children Wait. and their mom. <laughs> the, previous, the previous episode ends up with, with Hiroshi like, like we watched that kid die. Yeah. Yeah. He is... He is yeah, but That's they like it. retconned it, so it's like no. Yeah, yeah. Well, like yeah. the love of a mother, the mother's tears, all that stuff. No, she like... was crying. She was despairing. She's also a statue. Yeah, no, <laughs> you you're, you're correct. You know, when they find her, she's like laying in a room in the cave, and it's like, how long has she been here? Yeah, does twenty four hours not apply to them? Because or like she wasn't questing she, for the sword. She wasn't. Ah. She wasn't questing. She also appeared to have been passed out. So maybe if you <laughs> you have to be conscious, you're conscious. <laughs> I don't know. There's a so lot. So you of just nap there. your way through. <laughs> Interesting. One thing that I. I noticed in this episode, or one mm-hmm. thing that stood out to me in this episode, was the, the sequence with the the evil sword mm-hmm. uh, was really reminiscent of a ton of Chinese films. Yeah. It, it felt like a kung fu movie. I'm sure that there are also parallels in Japanese cinema, but I can't recall one mm-hmm. where that sequence felt like something straight out of, of Hong Kong circa you know, 1970. Yeah. Which is awesome. I, I want to make yeah, that yeah. clear. Like Anything that they can do to make Power Rangers or, or Super Sentai more like Hong Kong Kung Fu is... is you are going to book. love Die Ranger. Which um, one's that? That's the next one after okay. this. So, so halfway through season two? I think it's the start of season two. Okay, season yeah. two. Cool. Okay, um, so in three years you can yeah, enjoy it. <laughs> How many episodes uh, are in season one? Sixty. Of uh, what? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, December of 25 is when we finish at the current rate. (laughs) We're going to have to step it up. We're going to have to bring in more hosts. (laughs) The one thing that I think stood out to me most in this episode is how did they get that, like, uh, gooey statue effect? Like, what is that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Like, did they do, like, plastic wrap around the feet and then, like, some sort of putty compound on top of that? It looks really yucky. It does look really (laughs) yucky. really shiny and wet. And looks uncomfortable, and I would hate to touch it. Obviously, we talked about this in the, in the last episode, but um, the Minotaur is small for, for this, the entirety of right. this episode. So I think he wouldn't fit into the palace on the moon as a giant. Right. Uh, and it's probably like one of those like 
MMORPG buffs that disappears right. if you use fast travel right. or something. But that is the reason that in the last episode of Power yes. Rangers, we ended up with uh, the Rangers suddenly teleporting back to a small Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So he shows up in the Land of Despair again, normal size, and they can take him on this time because all five of them are there and they have their, their legendary weapons, each of which has a name. It's super cool. My favorite is Goshi's Mothbreaker. That's just sick. I love... Uh, we'll get into this you know, further we get in the show, but I love watching that actor and his suit actor fight. That's some of my favorite choreography in the show is, is specifically Goshi and, and the Black Ranger. Yeah. With yeah. just a big axe just absolutely <laughs> wailing on people. It's so good. An he axe, does but it's a, also a gun. Yeah, he does a high kick in this episode before transforming. That's like... That thing went all the way up there. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that covers it for G-Ranger. You want to get into our Rangers Yeah, recap? I can do the Rangers recap. Rangers um, recap! I took notes again. What's this episode called? This episode of Power Rangers is called A Pressing Engagement. And, and I will say from the top, it was better than the last episode, but only by a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this episode opens up in the Gem Slash Cafe, where the Power Rangers always hang out. Angel and Grove Youth Center and Juice Bar, or whatever. Gym and Juice Bar. Ernie's Joint. Gymnasium and Juice Bar. And th- this is just such a weird thing. Why is there a juice bar in the gym? And it's, like, just right in the middle of the gym. It's not, yes. like, a separate room. Gyms stink. They do stink. And this is a teenager gym. And so the Power Rangers are always just, like... Playing with food and eating food in the middle of just the stinkiest room. Anyway, yeah. Kimmy is doing uh, gymnastics and Jason is uh, bench pressing. Trying to set a record. He is trying to break some kind of record. When the episode opens, he's around a thousand reps and Ernie loses count. Mm-hmm. This is played for laughs, but like, this is the first time in the episode that Jason hits a thousand reps in, in his and bench press like, contest. He is sweating. I mean, I don't, I can't couldn't tell from just well, from watching how much weight he's using here but like and obviously it's 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 fake it's fake anyway it's fake. but like he is sweating yeah so uh rita who is watching this because again she just watches the power rangers as if they are a sitcom important to note rita's telescope in power rangers has a crosshairs in it yes. but bandora's telescope in zoo ranger does not yeah so like i don't know what kind of gun culture obsession <laughs> that thing is but like that i did notice that Rita decides to have Jason fight Goldar one-on-one mm-hmm. in what might be the most foolish decision she's made on the show so far considering Jason's performance to date. She's yep. like, hey, let's isolate the one of them who has the best chance of defeating Goldar and have Goldar fight him. Like, couldn't pick, like, Billy or something like that? Right. Like, right. That They have established that Jason is not only the leader but the strongest and the only one whose Zord has been shown fighting on its own. He is the, the least appropriate choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, Jason drops his barbell a few seconds before finishing his 1,010th rep as the result of silly shenanigans between Kimmy and Zack. I believe that this is supposed to be the second set of 1,000 at this point, because mm-hmm. they already lost count during the first set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the implication is that he has done 1,000 more reps. I couldn't tell. Is this supposed to be the same day? I, I assume so. Is, yeah. <laughs> because that's like two thousand. There, there are a lot of cuts uh-huh. in this but the, this is supposed to be minutes later, like, as best I can tell. And they do the silly chewing gum thing, and it's it's very bad. Like, 
even at bar weight, that is so much to right. live. Mm-hmm. Zach apologizes to Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then apologizes to Kimmy really poorly. Yeah. And Kimmy says, forget it, it's casual. Which is how I'm going to respond to all apologies for the rest of my life. <laughs> Jason is, like, really unreasonably obsessed with breaking this record mm-hmm. in a way that seems really unhealthy, and I'm worried for him. We find out also that it's actually Bulk's record. Yes, that, that is the next line and in it, my recap, is that Bulk holds this record. This this part, and then uh, the sort of confrontation between Bulk and Jason, where Jason tickles him. Yeah. I mentioned this last episode, but this, to me, is some, like, we've known each other since we were six years old type yeah, yeah, and like if they were ever like friends, friends, they've obviously grown apart as they've gotten older, and like I assume high school seniors, of course, they all look twenty five because they were, yeah, um, but like, and there's this like vague implication that Bulk and Skull are older than, or at least Bulk is older than Jason, yeah, because otherwise, why would Bulk hold the record and not right. Jason? And we don't ever see Bulk like ever bench pressing ever in the show, so right. it's just sort of a, a fact that's spoken into existence, uh-huh. but. I, the dynamic here is interesting, and I'm curious to see if more of the show supports like a past relationship between yeah. them. Because yeah. like, if Jason and Bulk were friends in elementary school who grew apart and had wildly different paths so far in life, that adds a lot of weight to the show. I think. It also is... explains a little bit of his unnatural mm-hmm. obsession with them and the way that they are so casually mm-hmm. cool to him. Yeah. So there's a fight, and uh, there's tickling, and Bulk tears his jeans, revealing boxers with pigs on them. They're huge. Um, They're, like, comically this, enormous boxers. This show is not subtle. No. Never. No. Not, 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 not ever. Bulk then falls on his face while everyone laughs. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Jason is obsessed with proving that he can handle things for himself in flagrant contradiction of the last episode. Yep. The last episode was literally called Teamwork. Yep. Kimmy, Zack, and Jason morph and teleport to a theater where they engage in brief combat with putties and a barely seen gooey black monster. At several points, Jason is seen holding a gooey black monster. No explanation. So those are Captain Putties. Uh-huh. Or at least they're, they're supposed to be. I forget the exact... Um the Japanese name, but they are like a more durable, smarter type of golem mm-hmm. from Zero Ranger. But you're right, it's given no... Yeah, he, he's just there. Somebody's just look like that. And then there's a Sphinx. Yep. The Sphinx thing teleports and demorphs Kimberly and Zack back to the combo gym lunchroom. He just flaps his wings and they mm-hmm. get turned back into normal people and teleported a long distance. That's an incredibly powerful monster. Yep. Yes. Rolling back one second, Zordon says Rita wants to gain control, control of the park. Of the park. <laughs> what that. is the point? Yeah. Why would she bother? Yeah. What is it? A tactically situated next to City Hall, or yeah? Uh, I mean, there's. Uh, he he states that she has a goal, but no motivation right. for the goal. And it's just very weird. Comparison. I mean, that's that's Power Rangers. Chaotic um, evil. Yeah. I, I just want it because it's there. But but she never even says she wants it. Zordon no. does. Yep. So the Red Ranger engages in combat, and Alpha panics. I don't know why Alpha panics, but Alpha panics. Mm-hmm. So far, all we've seen the Sphinx do is teleport people away. Yeah. Uh, so, like, at best, uh, the, the reason that Alpha is panicking is that the Sphinx might escape. But, mm-hmm. like, the, the villains always escape. The Red Ranger and the Sphinx then suddenly teleport to another location mm-hmm. and continue fighting. All the dialogue centers on Jason's insecurities about doing things himself, and suddenly Goldar is here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Reader throws her staff and says, take that, again, rather than make my monster grow, mm-hmm. which, uh, again, makes me sad. <laughs> and now Goldar and the Sphinx grow to giant size. So now we've got Jason, small human Jason, fighting giant Goldar and Sphinx. Yep. Jason laments that the other rangers are not present, but doesn't contact them, in spite nope. of the fact that he has a communicator. Yep. And doesn't call his Zord, in spite of the fact that we have demonstrated that his Zord is more than capable of taking on many monsters by itself. The others are now concerned with his well-being and uh, teleport themselves to, um, uh, what's it called? Ranger Center? Command Center? Well, they go to Billy's lab first, which I guess is just like the garage of Billy's house. Right, and this is the first time we've seen that. so goofy looking in there, but I would have loved to like tour that set. Sure. I would have been all over everything. It's it's kind of adorable. Uh, So they get get teleported to the command center uh, to watch Jason be attacked by the two giant monsters on the viewing orb. Mm -hmm. In spite of the fact that everybody says that they're worried, they don't do anything about Mm -hmm. it. They just stand there and watch it happen on the viewing orb. And then Zordon says, put your hands together and bring forth the power crystals. This bit is complete nonsense. Yep. Makes no sense, has no continuity. None. It will make sense in the next episode of Zoo Ranger, episode six. I'm, I'm sure. But this is another instance where the, the pacing issues that we've been discussing have really, really, really done harm to Power Rangers yeah. as, a, as the show. So Alpha is going to take these crystals and send them over the morph grid or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Mm-hmm. It's nonsense. It makes no sense. No. It does, however, make Jason's sword collapse a mountain, and that's yeah, neat. Yeah, that's that pretty sad. Jason then goes and receives the crystals, which he has no reason to know exist, at nope. great personal risk. He instantly knows what they are and what to do with them, <laughs> despite the fact that the other four rangers only just now found out from Zordon that, one, power crystals exist, two, they are a tool for you to use, and three, you already have access to them seconds before this happens and Jason's just like oh yeah a bag of power crystals I got you and for some reason not only does he know what the crystals are but he can use them to summon the other rangers so mm-hmm. he does mm-hmm. again it's it's patent nonsense I'm sure it will be explained when we get to that Zyranger episode but but I haven't seen that Zyranger episode yet and so it's right. just nonsense yeah it makes uh, less than no sense it's actively confusing uh, Kimmy uh, makes another pun while they're forming the Zord Jinx the Sphinx I wrote yep. that one down because oh my god and like I said I I'm, I'm assuming that this becomes a thing. I know in some subsequent episodes she at least strays from puns and moves more towards Valley Girl stuff, but everybody else's thing that they say when they get in the Zord makes sense. Mm-hmm. And Kimmy's is always something to make her seem unintelligent, and, and I don't love that. I don't even think it's that. You're right to point it out as like at odds with her character because puns can be very difficult and tricky sure. to come up with. So she's like doing some weird literary shit. And, like, thinking of rhymes and things beforehand, which doesn't fit with what (laughs) we've seen of her character. No! But I do love the idea of, like, secret literature nerd Kimberly. Sure. I'm here for it. I'm here for secret literature nerd Kimberly, because, like, the idea of just acting dumb for fun is a great idea. Sure. Uh, Lady Moonbeam does a great job of that. Lady Moonbeam? She's Dr. Lady Moonbeam? Dr. Lady Moonbeam. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> I mean, she she tells everybody she's Dr. I don't doubt that she tells everyone uh, Lady, that. Lady Moonbeam is Violet's character on uh, Jupiter's Ghost, which is a, a entirely different thing that we won't talk about today. So the Power Rangers, they board the Zords, and then they take these crystals, which again came out of their own bodies, and they shove them into some kind of receptacle within the Zords. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know how to do this for some reason. Mm-hmm. They know that this is possible. This is going to power up the Zords, apparently. 
They then stay in vehicle mode rather than going full stand-up Megazord mode and use the crystal cannon, which again, they they just suddenly know exist mm-hmm. for some reason. This fails and produces the only tension this episode has. Mm-hmm. There is a very brief moment of tension in this episode for the first time here. But then they transform into the real Megazord and they have a great battle. It really is a wonderful battle. Yes. Aside from the inexplicable switch back to tank mode in the middle that mm-hmm. lasts for like half a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a good bit. but Sure. So it's a weird pacing. It is, it's is—it's a weird pacing thing. But aside from that, the battle is fantastic. Having the two monsters fighting against the Megazord is just a great thing to see. And then at the end of this, again, for reasons that are never fully explained, they know that they have a new sword. So they summon the new sword for the yeah. Megazord. And that's also sick as Yes. Goldar escapes, Rita throws a tantrum, and then we're back at the gym slash cafe where Jason does his third set of a thousand reps of the day. And then there's cake. Then there's cake. Bulk and Skull show up. It goes exactly as expected, by Mm -hmm. which I mean Bulk ends up face down in the cake. I have a note of the dorks are about to ruin that cake. Uh Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's... It's becoming frustrating how often the way that they deal with bulk is by putting his face into food. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, deeply, deeply fatphobic. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably dig into that actor's experience. Um, Sure. Paul Schreier, maybe, is the guy. And see if we can dig up some commentary or something. But, yeah, I would have been deeply unhappy in his role. And it just continues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It does not stop. And then that's the episode. Yeah, uh, and I would like to point out that Jason only beat Bulk's record by one, uh-huh. and they're acting like Bulk could never, ever do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay, like, so to be fair, Jason beat Bulk's record by 2001. Okay, fair. Because he did two other sets of 1,000 reps mm-hmm. on the same day. Yep. The whole thing is absurd. It is absurd. He was able to do that because everybody was there cheering him on. Right. Which is sort of supposed to be the point, but like we just made this point last episode that like, yeah, yeah, we're stronger together. And then this whole episode is about how he has to do this by himself. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's silly. Yeah. And the pacing really suffers from from the Sabanization deal. There are times when it works well, and this is not one of those times. Uh, Agreed wholeheartedly. Uh, up to this point, everything about Zyre Ranger has been more enjoyable than, than Power Rangers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's uh, because, you know, with, with Zyre Ranger being the 16th installment, like, they had their process <laughs> they down. They had it down, yeah. Um, there's none of this, like, stumbling awkwardness. They have a whole story written. They have, you know, character arcs for everyone. Uh, Power Rangers is just not at that point yet. And we'll get to this a little more when we get into the research section, but um, the way that they were making this show was incredibly haphazard. Mm-hmm. The people who were driving the bus on on which clips made it into the show um, were working with perverse motivation. They were not trying to tell a story. They were not really even trying to adapt this for an American audience. They were trying to sell toys. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah. more than anything else, the reason the show was brought to the U.S. was to sell toys. And um, it was largely representatives of the toy company mm-hmm. that made the de- uh, of, of Bandai that made the decision as to which mech footage and which monster footage made it into the shows based on how quickly they could get toys uh, to market. Yeah. Gundam fans will be intimately familiar with this sort of interference yeah. from not outside interests I would say but like competing interests. Com- competing no. interests. Yeah. 
so what is uh, our research topic for today? Um, so today I'm going to be doing a research topic on, on Bandai, on, okay. on the toys. And I started just on Bandai, but uh, as I started doing my, my reading and my research, I ended up expanding out into Bandai... Disney and and Hasbro, and so we'll we'll talk a little bit about why. But but first and foremost, Bandai um, it was the company that was producing the toys for uh, Super Sentai. Okay, so Bandai is a is it a multinational corporation and has American and Japanese divisions? Yes. Or? yes. Okay, yes. that's something uh, I was curious about. Yeah, and 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 we'll we'll get there. But um, Bandai Japan was um, contracted to produce the the toys for Super Sentai very early on. Um, uh, t- towards the very beginning of the Sentai process, and they became a vital part and partner in mm-hmm. Super Sentai. Um, in fact, a lot of the um, the models that are used on show end up being just things that Bandai made or that that models that Bandai produced. Um, mm-hmm. So, toys are a vital part of the fa- Power Rangers franchise, um, but I'm not sure it's it's obvious how vital. Yeah, Power Rangers would not exist in the U.S. without the Power Rangers toys. Just, just straight up. It would not be yep. here. If you're a fan of 80s animation, uh, you'll be familiar with uh, the idea of producing a television show to sell toys. Again, Gundam fans will yeah. be intimately familiar with this sort of uh, well, method. I mean, the, the idea kind of reached its peak in the 80s with, with He-Man. Throughout the 80s, uh, the, the idea of producing a television show to sell, sell toys reached its peak with shows like Thundercats, He-Man, and G.I. Joe. These were based around the toy lines. Look! G.I. Joe Transformers Thundercats He-Man! Yay! Those shows existed! Yeah. I think He-Man is kind of the quintessential example of this. They made a toy. And with with Mm -hmm. He-Man in particular, Mattel went to uh, Toys R Us and they said, Hey, we've got this great new toy line. Check it out. How cool is this? It's been focus testing really well. We think we can sell this. And Toys R Us said, can't just sell a toy. Yeah. And uh, Mattel said, oh, well, no, no, of course not. It's not just a toy. There's a comic book. Toys R Us was like, fine. There's a comic book. Uh, Maybe. And so they they started placing their orders, and and they were doing the mini-comics, and uh, eventually they actually did a Marvel comic series. And this was a very dark kind of mature He-Man, you know? Um, And then... Another toy company, I don't remember what it was called, but 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 another major toy company, uh, the the big competitor to Toys R Us in the '80s, was like, "We're not going to carry this without a cartoon." And so Mattel produced a cartoon based on the He-Man toys, and the toys were just based on whatever crap they had lying around. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they they recycled molds from toys that they hadn't produced in 20 years, and this worked, and it worked really well, and it kicked off a frenzy. It's it's how you end up with Transformers. Yeah. It's it's how you end up with with um, large parts of of the Gundam franchise making mm-hmm. it into the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's where we get Thundercats. It's where we get GI Joe. Uh, and frankly, like Ninja Turtles, yes, yeah. uh, X Men. Uh, Ninja Turtles and X Men are kind of an interesting case because neither one of them came directly from the toys. Mm-hmm. No, but the toys were developed in concert with the the TV shows. Mm-hmm. But but Power Rangers, you might assume with its mixed up transnational heritage, would be immune to this kind of uh, toy based uh, marketing scheme. But that that's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Power Rangers was brought to the U.S. not only by Haim Saban, but but also by Bandai of America. Mm-hmm. Bandai and and Saban worked together to create the the chimera that is that is uh, Power Rangers. Yeah. Bandai of Japan was founded in the wake of the Second World War. Um, they drove the popularity of many Japanese brands in the U.S. Um, and one of their their big successes relatively early on was Ultraman. Uh, another okay. Tokusatsu series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd done a ton of stuff leading up to that, but the stuff leading up to that was small. 
and and Ultraman was the first time that they brought in a big property and it worked and it worked really well mm-hmm. and eventually they they decided to double down. Uh, they were producing the Japanese toys for Sentai and uh, with minor modifications they produced their American counterparts throughout the 90s and 2000s. But their relationship with the show is way deeper than just producing the toys. Uh, Bandai worked with Saban to localize Power Rangers. They selected which Sentai shots to use and occasionally supplied models and other materials sourced from their toy molds to appear on screen when the Japanese mask footage was insufficient. Okay. So if they do a reshoot, if there's a shot that, that appears in the U.S. show mm-hmm. that uh, features one of the things from the Japanese footage but is not using the Japanese footage, it's almost certainly shot using something that, that Bandai provided. Okay. Bandai was, in many ways, the beating heart of Power Rangers. So Bond gets the credit, but Bandai was the real steward of the franchise. They produced toys for every hero, every villain, every monster, Mm -hmm. every zord, and most of the accessories that you see on the screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Bandai, and particularly Bandai of America, served as caretakers of the Power Rangers and Super Sentai Legacy. And the quality of their products was remarkable. We talked about this a little bit in Episode 1 or Episode 2, but, like, the Japanese toys were made uh, to an astounding level of quality. Yes. Uh, They featured these metal die-cast parts, and when they were brought into the U.S., they were often remade in plastic. Mm-hmm. Replacing these metal parts with plastic was obviously in part a cost-cutting measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't wholly a cost-cutting measure, and I found okay. that to be really interesting. It was also necessary in order to please the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. The U.S. Okay. Consumer Product Safety Commission found that many of the unmodified Japanese toys didn't meet their standards and would be considered unsafe in the U.S. Now, interesting. Bandai had not had this problem early on when they were bringing stuff in for a couple of reasons. The biggest one being that they were largely bringing in vinyl toys. Ultraman toys right. were big, hollow, blow mold vinyl toys, mm-hmm. uh, like the stuff on the shelf, you know, th- this kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. They were um, thin walled, cheap plastic, and they were not especially dangerous. But they did also bring in metal toys and mm-hmm. and things with action and things that shot and. The U.S. Consumer uh, Protection Safety Commission was was largely a toothless organization throughout most of the 1970s. Okay. And this part of the story is sad. I mean, this is like peak leaded gasoline years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, um, things are not going great. I mean, you got the Ohio River just catching on fire in mm-hmm. Cincinnati and all kind of crazy stuff going on. So, uh, before we get back to the toys, we have to do a brief aside about... Um, the never-released rocket-firing Boba Fett. Okay. Yeah. Again, a direction I did not expect to turn, but I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Um, As many of you are likely aware, um, in the wake of the success of of the Star Wars movies, uh, Star Wars toys were a hot commodity, and um, uh, Kenner promised to release a rocket-firing Boba Fett. If you sent away enough stamps or proof of purchases, you got your rocket-firing Boba Fett. Okay. This was supposed to come out in early 1979. Okay. In December of 1978, um, a child died. Oh no! Uh, it happened very near here. Actually, it was it was in Canton, Georgia. No um, kidding. I, I think it was Canton. It, it was in the Metro Atlanta area. Okay. Yeah. Um, the kid died from complications due to injuries sustained from a Battlestar Galactica rocket firing Viper. Uh, I've got the Viper Whoa. around here somewhere, and I've got not the one that killed the kid. Obviously. Okay. <laughs> I, I've got that toy around here somewhere, and um, I've got replica rockets for it because mm-hmm. most of them were sold with the rocket glued in. After this event, Mattel started gluing the rocket into place. But I it was, mean, are we talking about like a incredibly powerful spring or what actually It, it was a fairly powerful spring, but not an unreasonably powerful spring, sure. but but it was a small rocket uh, mm-hmm. and uh, only only about half an inch, maybe an inch long okay. and um, 
the thing got wedged in the kid's throat. Sure. Yeah. Um, he, he shot it into his open mouth. And um, because somebody had died, mm-hmm. uh, the CPSC got involved. And um, they were able to use this to champion funding for the CPSC. For, for the first yeah. time, yeah. they were actively taking a role in... Um, in in policing the safety of of children's toys, the most immediate direct result of that more active role was that um, Boba Fett lost his ability to fire his rocket. Okay. It was advertised as we're going to have this rocket firing Boba Fett, and it was basically going to be the exact same mechanism from um, the the Viper, and okay. um, yeah. and then it was not, and so Boba Fett was launched without a rocket firing uh, option. Later on, um, they changed um, branding standards and, and how uh, toy packages had to be labeled, and um, they introduced some new um, mechanisms through which you could have things that, that launched, and mm-hmm. one of the mechanisms um, was, or one of the ways that you could get away with this was by having a weaker spring. One of the ways that you could get away with this was by having the missile be of a specific size so that it couldn't be lodged in a throat. That makes sense. Um, but as a result of, of rocket firing Boba Fett and the the Battlestar Galactica missile, uh, we get the the uh, Consumer Protection Board being much more involved in certifying okay. toys for import yeah, into the that US. Makes sense. This is the reason that many new Power Rangers and other collectibles, but but we're talking about Power Rangers here. Um, when you find them on the shelves, you're going to see them marked 14 plus or 18 plus, mm-hmm. and it's not because they're particularly unsafe in any given case. It's because now, if you want to release a toy to children in the U.S., you have to get it tested, mm-hmm. and uh, you might have to retool it after that testing if you fail the testing. And uh, a lot of companies, especially the ones who are producing the the more expensive collectibles, don't bother doing that and instead um, just just release the thing for adults. Yeah. As a result of all of this, we, we end up with um, different versions of the, the Power Rangers toys coming into the U.S. because we had different standards for safety. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't have the big, heavy, metallic toys because that's a bludgeoning hazard. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's that's really what it came down to. Um, uh, some of them could, under certain circumstances, be made to be sharp if they were mishandled. Mm-hmm. And um, the U.S. Um, took an, an active role in ensuring children's safety in this particular small regard in a way that that, um, has never really been necessary in Japan. Interesting. Yeah, I never knew about any of that. The difference in the toys is is astonishing. I didn't buy it because it was way too much money, but I I found at one point a white tiger zord, uh, a Japanese-released white tiger zord in a shop. And I had two of the American-released ones when I was a kid. I don't remember why that was. But just holding it, was like several ounces heavier and the plastic was like glossy with a Mm -hmm. beautiful finish on it and it was like just a nice off-white with like gray specks in it i mean it was like choice just sort of touching it and holding it and in Uh, spite of the fact that the american toys were lower quality than than mm -hmm. their japanese counterparts uh they were still good toys oh yeah yeah oh yeah and modern power rangers toys just aren't nope and um, I wanted to find out why. Yeah. So that is where I started this research, was to try and find out why. And it led me to, through the Consumer Protection Bureau, but it, but it led me down another weird rabbit hole. In 2001, Saban sold Power Rangers to Disney. 
Mm-hmm. And Bandai remained involved. Bandai was still the the people producing all of the toys. They were still um, doing a lot of the localization work. That this was still a very toy marketing driven effort. Mm-hmm. Disney planned to cancel Power Rangers in 2008, but their contract with Bandai prevented them from doing it. That tracks. And so yep. Bandai held had Power Rangers uh, continue through 2009, and then Bandai got together with Saban and. Um, in 2010, Saban purchased Power Rangers back from Disney using uh, uh, a lot of support from Bandai. Bandai remained involved in working with Saban for the next eight years, 2010 to 2018. Gotcha. And in 2018, Saban announced that Bandai would no longer produce Power Rangers toys. Three months after Saban announced that Bandai would no longer produce Power Rangers toys, Saban suddenly doesn't have the money to make Power Rangers anymore. Weird. Uh-huh. And so um, Hasbro purchases the rights to produce Power Rangers. And so Saban is no longer involved. Hasbro purchased the Power Rangers franchise completely, and uh, they do all of the localization work. They shoot all of the American footage. Oh, wow. um, it's entirely a Hasbro production, and they also release all the toys. Mm-hmm. And Hasbro's toys are of lower quality than Bandai's toys were. And not just lower quality materials. Like, they have less articulation. Mm-hmm. They're less visually interesting. I mean, you don't see... And they, a Megazord like you... No. No. They don't see. do all the pieces of each individual Zord. They just do the Megazord. The Megazord is smaller. They don't do every villain. They just do the mm-hmm. big ones. It's mm-hmm. it's a really weird... And, and the actual play stuff, the uh, the kid-sized Accessories, stuff... Accessories, um, and swords and whatnot. Is, is basically non-existent now. Yeah. Uh, and then, as Violet pointed out, they've got the Imaginex stuff. They're, they're line for toddlers. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Imaginex toys are where most of their energy and effort's going because it, it sells to six-year-olds. And that's yeah. what all of this is, is really about. I think they have a Megazord out, at least in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but it is much, much smaller mm-hmm. than even and, the 2010 Megazord. And was. they do a big Megazord for the Imaginex line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a goofy... Uh, I mean, it, the, the whole thing is just... Your mother buys you Mega Bloks instead of Legos. Yes. Yeah. Except that what we have here is less your mother buys you Mega Bloks instead of Legos and more Mega Bloks buys Legos and destroys Legos. (laughs) Yeah. That wasn't ever in a vine, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, like, I know a lot about the um, child protection consumer uh, through uh, Transformers. Right. Once again, that's where I come, my background for a lot of this. And the difference between the Takara Tomy toys versus the Hasbro toys. Yes. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, even to this day, it's just gotten to the point where even if there's no additional metal being put in, they just put in more effort in the Japanese release tar- mm-hmm. Takara oh, totally. toys than they do in the Hasbro toys. Um, and, and I don't want to speak ill of Hasbro. No. Because I don't want to get sued. <laughs> um, Fingers crossed listeners pray for us hasbro has released a lot of really interesting figures and they've been a very innovative company in the history of toy production but if you go watch a show like uh the toys that made us that occasionally touches on the role that hasbro actually plays Mm -hmm. they're a behemoth Mm -hmm. they consume they they are largely the equivalent of disney they own um wizards of the the, exactly absolutely they own wizards at this point and wizards makes most of their money and they continue to mishandle these properties that they own because Bandai did a good job with the Power Rangers toys out of respect for this thing that they had built. Mm-hmm. And Hasbro milks them for everything that they're worth while releasing the worst product that they can because they know they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's your classic sort of rent-seeking, profit-maximizing 
American corporate behavior. Yeah. That's just standard practice. That's And, of course, the consumer loses out. I watched a video, just because I'm a normal person, of, like, every main mecha in the Sentai series. Mm-hmm. And some of them I had never seen before because, like, there's a significant portion of, like, U.S.-released Power Rangers that I just missed. Um, there were several that... I know I had and don't have anymore, so that's a question I asked of my mom sometime. And some of them are incredible. The one that sticks out to me is the one from Magi Ranger, which is it's five individual humanoid mechs that have these like they're sort of cool, swirly, sort of organic shaped. They combine into a giant dragon, which can then also transform into a giant humanoid mech. And I, I mean, my jaw hit the floor watching that one. And some of them are less interesting. There's one that's like. All the zords are cubes that then morph into a like a elephant or a lion, yeah. and then the lion and elephant combine to you know some of them are less interesting than others. We've got um, that gorilla around here somewhere. That's at the antique mall. Yeah, yeah. Um, is a gorilla that turns into legs. That's <laughs> But looking at those, at the more recent ones, you know, post-2010 ones, compared to what I've, like, seen on the shelf at mm-hmm. Walmart, and it is, like, night and day, they're not good. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I got. Um, okay. Bandai was a pivotal player in the formation yeah. of and the release of and the stewardship of Power Rangers. Yeah. And if you've noticed a drop-off in quality in Power Rangers, I haven't, because I'm re-watching it now for the first time. But mm-hmm. um, if, if Power Rangers has changed in quality... From 2001 to 2010, well, that's because Disney owned it. And if it changes in quality from 2010 to 2018, it was back in in Saban's hands. Mm -hmm. And if post-2018 Power Rangers is getting worse, I would not be surprised because Hasbro has a tendency to kill everything they touch. Yep. It sucks when any type of corporation does this, but when it's like a show made for children to enjoy, at least in part, you know, it's everything is a toy commercial that's made for kids essentially but like also there are people who put their life into making that so that it will make a child happy mm-hmm. and when the uh, when the freaking McKinsey Institute graduates get their horrible withered hands on it and just like slurp all the life out of it so that they can get another 10 cents on their annual dividends it's uh, it's really it sucks it's almost like we're living in a dying society mm-hmm mm-hmm so on that happy note... On that happy note... <laughs> do we have any other material for the show? We're ready to get out of here. Is there anything you want to say about this episode, Violet? Uh, I've already forgotten the episode. I'm so focused on toys. That's right. <laughs> um, do you have like any strong memories of, of any Power Rangers toys that you had? So, absolutely. Um, I had a costume of the uh, Red Ranger... Okay. Then a costume of the White Ranger. Sure. And I had a three foot tall White Ranger toy. I forgot oh. about that. Yes, I had. I had. Um, was, it a, was it a stuffy? No. No. Oh. no, they were hard plastic. Hard plastic um, with like well, how did that arms get past and legs. The consumer protection people. Because they were like backy form. Yeah, I mean they, they were they didn't weigh much, but they were okay. they were plastic. Oh God, I think I had the Blue Ranger. I had forgot about that completely. Yeah, I've got the White Ranger somewhere, but he's missing all of his clothes. <laughs> Some some part of that does not surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, no, those, those were those were sick. The Power Rangers toys that I remember most vividly are the uh, Power Rangers Ninja McDonald's Happy Meal toys. Okay, interesting pull. They were about two and a half, maybe three inches tall. Mm-hmm. 
uh, super limited articulation, just, you know, big five, uh, made like classic Kenner Star Wars or something okay. like that. Yeah. And they had little sit-ins words. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, during that same, this was uh, for the, the movie. Movie promo, and, for and sure. And during that same campaign, they, they also did all the Morphin coins. And uh, you could get those through some kind of promotion at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm assuming it was McDonald's. It might have been Burger King. I don't I'm care. pretty sure it was McDonald's. Uh, yeah. But those are the, the Power Rangers toys that I remember remember most vividly. I had the flippy head guys, and I had I the had big, those. tall, shiny guys, and I had the big, tall, mod, shiny I had a ton of Power Rangers toys. I mm. loved Power Rangers toys. But the ones that I remember most vividly are the McDonald's toys, because I was not afraid of just beating the absolute hell out of those. Yeah. You know, I would put those through things because they're McDonald's toys. They don't yeah. matter. I would put my Happy Meal toys yeah, through things. Yeah, the Zords literally like just two clamshell pieces screwed yeah. together. I mean, you can't hurt them. But I would put that through things that I would have never dared put my nicer Power Rangers toys through because I was afraid of breaking those, yeah. you know? So, yeah, I would wrap a, a, a <laughs> plastic bag around, um, stick some string in a plastic bag and tie it to the thing's waist and throw it off a roof, you know? Yeah. Parachute Power Rangers. Parachute Power Rangers. Um, and then... As it's floating down, shoot at it with a BB gun, and <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was not a good shot because I didn't have my glasses yet, so uh, I couldn't see anything. Um, so I would so miss wildly, but you know, it was, it was a good time. My outstanding memory is is an ungodly amount of envy that like a five year old should not be able to summon, <laughs> because I knew two kids who had. All the Power Rangers toys. Oh, um, my mom's boss's kid, yeah, and one of the quote unquote big kids mm-hmm. from my babysitters, um, who can't have been more than three or four years older than me. But you know, when you're when you're five and they're nine or ten, that yeah. seems like a huge gap. Yeah, they both had all of them. They oh had all goodness. the Megazords. They had all of the weapons that combined everything and I just I wanted all of it and you know we I didn't get most of them I, I had a on my Christmas list from probably 1993 or 4 to 1999 every year was an original Megazord and I did not get one until probably my 27th or 28th birthday when Andrew gave me one for a birthday gift which is now on display at my house um, and I just remember thinking how cool all the stuff was you know the 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 morphers and yeah. the, there's like a one shoulder cannon that I think is originally from Die Ranger that shot like two inch ping pong balls. I mean, it can't was a beast. No, yeah. you sure can't. And then like the Power Rangers game on Super Nintendo. We never owned a Super Nintendo. Did you ever play the one on the Sega Genesis? No. Okay. Genesis so either. have you played either of the, the 16 bit Power Rangers games? Did the Genesis one get ported to Game Gear? Maybe. Uh, if it, it did, I played that. It was a 2D fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the Super Nintendo one was like a, a standard like side-scrolling adventure game. Yeah, very Ninja Turtles-y. But the the Sega Genesis one was just a straight-up like Street Fighter-style fighter. Oh. Okay, maybe not. Uh-huh. But... Interesting. Okay, so I know what we're doing for our next special episode. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go find that game, and sure. we're going to hook up all the equipment that we need to so that we can do a... Uh, a screen cap of that. Yeah. Yes. Um, like tournament style? Yeah. Sure. Bring bring Nelson and Ryan I into think, it. I think the Super Nintendo one, my strongest memory of that is is Billy's fighting style pre-transformation is that he holds one hand up to his glasses and sort of flails with the other one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, man down. Man down. All right, I think that's our episode. Yeah, I think I, it is. I gotta be careful. <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll be back next time to discuss episode five of Zero Ranger Kawaii Nazo Nazo, which is scary riddles and Power Rangers different drum. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to send me $5. And if you want to find me online, don't. But you can follow the show on the Fediverse at Kenku Sentai Podcast Rangers at meet.communitymedia.network. Andrew, how can people get in touch and what should they look out for? Uh, you can find me online at andrewroach.net. Um, I'm doing a bunch of things, but most recent to this episode being released, we should have just released another episode of Jupiter's Ghost. Uh, this is a Creative Commons licensed, collaborative, crowdsourced podcast about the crew of a spacefaring vessel in the distant future. Think Starfleet, but without the monopoly of violence. Yeah, yeah. You Violet and I are both on that show. It's really fun to make, and yeah. we like it a lot. It's, it's a blast. You can find Jupiter's Ghost online at inter- intergalactic.computer. It's just a great URL. Yeah. And Violet, what do you want to shout out today? I'll shout out... I shouted out several things last episode, but Dr. Deathray is my band. Also, Hurley Burley and the Volcanic Fallout is my band. You're bopping your head to Hurley Burley right now. Yeah, it's probably... Something like that. Something like that. But yeah, I do those things. You can follow me on the Fediverse at drdeathray at retro.social. Or on Instagram at dr.deathray. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Yeah. Thank you. That's all the show we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Hurley Burley and the Volcanic Fallout for the use of their song, Colossal Might. Totally You're welcome. radical <laughs> instrumental version. Hey, we got that on record. We're welcome. <laughs> uh, for our intro and outro music, Kink You Sentai Podcast Rangers is licensed CC by SA and produced in collaboration with New LJ Television at the LJ Makerspace, which stands on the ancestral, unceded, stolen, and occupied lands of the Cherokee people. You can learn more about the Makerspace by visiting lajmakerspace.org, and you can learn more about the Cherokee people by visiting cherokee.org. Strength, love, and solidarity to all oppressed people, and in the words of a wise man, f*** capitalism, go home. Amen. <laughs>